right. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Coach's Corner, brought to you by the Endurance Lab, where you can join the coaches live and unscripted as they recap the week and answer your questions from the forum. My name is Jason Flores, one of your Endurance Lab coaches, and I'm joined by Taya Freestead, Mitch Stingerman, and our nutritional therapist, Andrea Cullen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Just a reminder, we are live on several platforms today, so what you see is what you get, and what you hear is raw and unedited commentary from our coaches. This also gives you a chance to be part of the show by asking your questions, so jump on live and be part of the show. I'm going to get this shared out, but I'm going to start the show off. I'm going to send this on over, and we are going to send it over to Coach Mitch, and he's going to talk a little bit about um, his experiences on the trail this week. Pretty interesting, so I'll let him share that story. So good morning, Mitch. Hey, good morning, guys. So I was out for a run, uh, had a good week uh, so far, from a fitness perspective, running on one of the local like lakes and a uh, couple ahead of me on the sidewalk, taking up the complete whole sidewalk, female on the right, large male on the left. And, and I didn't say anything, but I mean, I know they heard me because I'm not the lightest runner. I, I run with heavy feet. So I, I know they heard me and, and I was just beside myself. And I don't know why I let it bother me, but I had to run all the way through the grass to get around them. No, you know, it didn't shift at all. And I've had this experience on the bike. I've had it on the sidewalk running. So I spent the next two miles just thinking about etiquette. And I thought this would be a good subject for us to touch on today. But before we get into it, I mean, coaches, what's your worst story from like an etiquette perspective that you've seen on the bike or, or on a sidewalk or, or whatever? Uh, start with uh, Taya. Well, the uh, worst story that I have was actually uh, somebody who got into a crash and um, and hit somebody else. So new to the uh, to the group ride, and uh, this person is an experienced rider and has been riding in groups for a very long time. But that person was new to that particular group, and um, he wasn't very aware of what the group dynamics were. Um, and there were certain plays and certain things that the group always does in certain sections. Yep. And um, he decided to, he didn't know what was going on and decided to be part of the action and jumped on into a sprint train um, out of nowhere. And there were riders coming on the left and this person just literally got off the line and uh, hit the uh, rider right next to him um, and caused a crash. And so the etiquette, I guess, message there is if you're new to a certain group ride, Just sit in the back and observe for a little while, or at least ask somebody ahead of time of you know what's gonna what's yeah. gonna you know what people do and that ride. Yeah, I mean communication, I think is 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 a big part there. Um, Andrea, what about you? Oh well, I guess we all have the car being too impatient and coming too close. But I think what I can add as a runner on small country lanes is trying to get on the side of a corner where you're going to be seen. So thinking Mm. ahead when when you're running, that if this corner is going to create a blind spot for a car, where are you safest for yourself? And so that they get a chance to see you. So no headphones. You need to be able to hear what's ahead and what's behind and then just hopping onto the relevant side. I think think that it's an unwritten rule of etiquette. I think that just makes it safe and fair. You yeah, can't do it so on I a mean, bike, obviously. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and, you know, really quick, I mean, so my daughter was actually hit on her bike in Ann Arbor mm. like a week ago. 
because she was doing what you were saying. She was riding on a sidewalk. She was going too fast. And I don't think the car stopped like they should have, but it was everybody was at fault. So, I mean, I think your your key point there is that safety is always paramount and you have to really pay attention about your safety and everyone else's safety. And that's just really like the first rule of all etiquette. Yeah. Yeah. I think being careful um, kind of in all situations, whether it be bike or running, um, a lot of times, like if you're on a bike and people are running or walking, um, that's that would be my experience where if you're coming up on someone on a trail and they're walking on the right or sort of in the middle and they don't know where to go, like they're going to go in front of you. They're going to go. It's like, do they go to the right? Do they go to the left? Like all of a sudden they forget what country they're in. They don't know what side to walk on. It's like, just pick a side. I'm going to run you over. Uh, so whether it be running or whether it be um, riding the bike in that situation. But, you know, for Taya's, for Taya's um, example, too, I think uh, it's important to talk about it's it's tough to jump into a group ride because everyone has that that throwdown weekend that I mean, if it was a training ride, per se, like you're with another group, I'd say, you know, that's pretty uh, reasonable to ask somebody to sit back. But it's tough, like on a group ride, if it's kind of an open ride and people are allowed to come and and um Hopefully people, if they are new, they're, they are kind of just kind of shy enough to kind of just watch. But a lot of times people like to get mixed up. Um, but again, it, it comes down to communication from both the more veteran group that are that have been riding where things happen every uh, every week. Um, you know, the local sprint, the KOM, that sort of thing. Um, and then um, and then also from the person new, like, hey, um, can reaching out to people saying, hey, is it, what happens here? What happens there? That sort of thing. So, yeah. So what'd you, what'd you do, Mitch? Did you, did you give him a, give him a talking afterwards? No, I just kept running, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, we, we've, we've seen lots of other things. I mean, I've seen on the, on the rail trails here where there's a group of cyclists taking the whole trail completely yeah. oblivious. And, um, you know, I actually have this really cool bell that my secret Santa gave me nice. uh, a year ago and, and I even, it's lightweight. It's, it's really cool. And they, people just still hear it, and they still just take the whole trail. It's and they have, like They have it is carbon, I think. But uh, I, I'm just always amazed at how rude people can be. But if we if we get into some of the stuff that uh, I did some research and, and try to get some best practices, so the, one of the things to always remember is same roads, same rules, same rights. Um, so you, we do have a right to be on the road, but we have to follow the laws and we have to follow the rules. Um, and I always think you need to follow your local rules. So if you look at cycling laws around the country, they, they do vary. I think in Michigan, we're supposed to ride as far as right as safely possible. There's a lot of interpretation there. Um, you know, if I'm on a road with a bike lane and it's wide enough, I'll try to ride in the bike lane. But otherwise, I'm riding to the left of that white lane, so I own my um, space on the road. But then also in Michigan, I think we're allowed to ride two abreast. I see people riding three abreast all the time. Um, and not yielding to traffic. And, and all that does is it angers motorists and then makes our lives more difficult. So know your rules, be polite. Um, I think two abreast is okay, but also if I was on a busy road, I'd be, when cars came, I'd be shifting to, you know, single file. Um, another big theme, and we've talked about this a little bit, is, is don't give cyclists a bad name. We've all, we've all come to a stop at a stop sign or a stoplight and the intersection is clear and we've rolled through. But stop. Yeah. I mean, one I see is that just, all the time. It is just. I mean, you're you're gonna lose that. I was in the Navy. Everyone knows that, right? We had a, a saying: the law of gross tonnage. Between like, you know, I was on a smaller ship, and we'd see a big freighter in the ocean, and and we would give yield to the big freighter because it was so much bigger. Same thing with a car, right? You're gonna lose that battle every time on a bike, and it's <laughs> not gonna turn out well for you. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, stop, look, don't roll through. Motorists hate seeing cyclists do that. Um, we, we talked a lot about communication already, all the coaches and their, uh, their stories. Um, you know, I like to think that pedestrians nowadays are actually even more distracted than motorists. Um, I do it oh, all the yeah. time. I, I, was, I was walking to work the other day and my head was buried in my phone and one of my coworkers just had a field day laughing at me because I think he was like walking next to me for like 30 seconds. I no <laughs> so, so pedestrians are really distracted. So you have to communicate with them because they're not paying attention and, and you don't know what they're going to do. So give them a widely and, and try to talk. But when we start getting into the whole group ride thing, I think one of the things we can always remember is just be nice, right? If we're, if we're a long time member of the group ride, you're going to have newbies that are going to be coming out, take care of them, help them out. But if you're new to a ride, actually talk to people and communicate and find out, like Jason's saying, what the story is. Then one of my biggest pet peeves, and I don't know why this, why well, I know why it bothers us, but it shouldn't bother us maybe so much, but is don't sit on, right? If you're riding out on the country lane or you're riding and you see somebody up ahead and you think this would be a great time to draft, don't do it without some communication, right? <laughs> Have a small uh, yeah. dialogue. That that is just so strange. Oh, right? People okay. just roll up to your wheel yeah, and, yeah. and sit on, and you just know the person is there, you know. Yeah. And yeah, the person doesn't say anything. I was kind of I, I was kind of lost on that. So uh, I got it yeah. now. I got it now. So maybe explain yeah. to those who uh, maybe uh, um, kind of don't know what that is. What, just kind of sit, sitting on sounds like That's we're cool. all in a group together, and I just don't want to pool. But that you're talking no, about no, something no. else. So, <laughs> so I was riding at one of the local metro parks, and it's, a, it's like a six-mile loop, and all of a sudden, there's a guy riding on my wheel. <laughs> and, you know, goes out for like a mile, and I slow down, and, and he slows down. Hmm. I speed up. He speeds up. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? He didn't say anything. I mean, you know, That's what if odd. I stop? We're in the group ride. Hey. You know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, just don't assume that it's okay to draft on somebody. Right. Yeah. I mean, announce yourself, have a conversation, figure out what you're going to do and then move on. Um, oh, can I throw in a quick example too? Uh, just remembered uh, in speaking of somebody staying in your wheel, I had the opposite happen. So I was outside doing intervals and those were short intervals. And, you know, I was at a certain speed and then accelerations and then making those changes. There was a group rolling right by me and they decide to pass me. But then the group, as the group is passing, they're cutting in front of me, mm. right? So they're passing me on the left and they're like coming back in front of me and reducing speed. I was like, what? It, that's dangerous too, because I'm in the middle of something and, and all of a sudden these riders are uh, cutting right in front of me. Um, you have to have an idea of what kind of speed that person you're passing is doing so you can uh, go faster and pass them safely but also be faster than they are and keep that distance. Otherwise, don't pass. Yeah, that's definitely an unsafe pass. Um, you know, it's not Zwift. You can't just run right through riders, right, during your workout. <laughs> <laughs> we, we forget that, don't we? Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think the big rule is, is, is to really be nice, communicate, be courteous. I, I like to say be a legitimate human being. I mean, we're all kind of sharing this earth and we're all sharing the trail or the road. Um, we're all out there trying to get in better shape and have some fun. So be courteous and, and be polite. And I think that'll go a long way. I have one rule, and that is just assume that everyone is an idiot. 
So every junction, someone's going to do something wrong or every person or every car, but it ruins your training because I suppose I'm nearly hypervigilant that someone's going to do something dumb because someone always does something dumb on every ride. Um, but yeah, I said, that's why we've got Zwift, I guess. It just helps make it so much safer. Andrea runs into crazy stuff on and off the bike. Didn't you uh, run into uh, some uh, fun vigilante experiences this week at school? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a guy just standing on a bike rack, jumping on a on the lock to try and break it, and everyone walking by. So I stopped him. I was worried, actually, halfway through what was going to happen. <laughs> but he ran off after trying to convince me it was his bike, and he was just taking it back from someone who stole it from him. That's what I would say, too. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, yeah, so... Oh, so yeah, definitely run into these situations, whether it be on the trail, um, whether it be on the road. I think it's important, like Mitch said, to make sure that we're doing our part. Um, how many times have you been driving and you've seen um, a runner on the wrong side, a cyclist going um, against traffic, um, not in the bike lane or not stopping and um, not having someone clear the clear the stop sign? We do have situations like that, you know, where people are clearing clearing stop signs so that people can come through as cyclists to be safe. But yeah, just to be safe, I think it's super important. So really good tips. And uh, I'm glad Mitch was able to bring that out into the conversation today. All right. So um, we've got something a little bit new today. I'm actually going to bring in a video question uh, sent in by our uh, um, by a listener. Um, Andrea actually knows this listener pretty well. Um, so if you, maybe you could tell us a little bit about him. And then um, as I prep the video and I'll bring it through, Andrea. Yes, so this person that I know is my boyfriend, (laughs) and he's currently in Kona, um, his third time in Kona, racing Ironman World Championships, so he's there for a month to train and acclimate, the heat in Hawaii is something else, Um, and as he'll explain in the video, they have a very famous double headwind that gets very bad out at a point called Javi, Um, and Garen has a question, because he knows that our fantastic coaches will be able to help him. All right. Sounds good. Let me roll the video. Um, audio is going to come through for all those live streamers, um, and then we could just watch the coaches' faces. All right. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Um, glad I can have a, have a quick chat um, to you all. And I have a question based on the podcast that you guys did last week. I'm currently in Kona, as, as you know, preparing for the Ironman World Champs. And one of the one of the things I experience on the bike um, is sort of a, a wall of wind for a fifteen to twenty minute twenty minute um, period. Everyone has to go through it, um, and I think uh, the the question I have is really how how you deal with with that fifteen to to twenty minutes. I I assume you could you could look at it as as a long climb. Or as a as a steady climb, um, the thing with the thing with Kona is within that twenty minutes there could also be a few gusts. So I I have a few options, and obviously um, the benefit of of being in Kona so early is I can I can practice a few of those. So I just like to get your thoughts if possible. Um, just as a background, I would average um, ninety cadence. Um, on, on the 180k, I would push out of around about 240, 245 um, average, depending on, on the wind um, in and out from from Harvey. But 
as I said, they are they are almost these walls of wind where you'll be going for easily 40 kilometers an hour, and suddenly you'll be you'll be right back to 25. Um, just just your thoughts on then? Do we keep the cadence the same? Do we push a little bit more power to, to to get through it, knowing that it's only going to last for you know the the 20 minutes that I've that I've mentioned? Um, and and or do we actually just back off keep the same power keep try and keep the the same cadence and and, and basically take the knock on, on the time of that thanks very much guys great great to listen to you every week thanks a lot bye-bye all right and we are back so um i'm gonna have andrea give us a kind of the tdlr just kind of um breakdown for the coaches there um and we can get started to talk about um the, the question um, at hand. He had a good amount of specifics as far as his wattage and cadence. Um, and then um, he did talk about his situation there. So um, was there, there was a little, couple details there that we wanted to make sure that we highlighted there. Coaches, are you back? Can you hear me there? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Video is back. Uh, we're all done. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about um, Garen's question here. Um, I was saying that he did get put a good amount of detail into kind of the wattage he was using, the cadence he normally is at. Um, I know Taya had a lot of um, some good information to bring into this. Were there any other details that we wanted to make sure we highlighted, Andrea, um, from the question? Um, it's very hot as well, just mm. so that people are going to be operating on a slightly higher heart rate, um, probably on a finer line than they, than they ever have been. It's been described as like cycling into a hairdryer. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> wow. I've heard that. The, the, gust, the gust on the island, on the big island there, um, kind of all over, but mostly in that section where they go through the lava rock, um, is, is, very, very, is very, very fast and can gust quite quickly. Um, so much so that riders have to really take consideration on their wheel choice. Um, and, um, you know, like we've heard, no one's actually been thrown off the bike, but you can easily be moved from uh, where you're at to several feet to one side or the other, depending on which way the wind is going, from what I understand. So what kind of tips can we um, can we put out to, to Garen here uh, to make sure that he's ready and he has something in his mind uh, to be able to use as he gets closer here in the next couple of weeks? I could get us started. Yeah. So, um, and we could talk about body position too. You know, body position is important in terms of wind, but I assume that, you know, if Garen is pretty uh, well-versed in that, especially, you know, doing the uh, aero position. Um, so I'll talk about cadence, which is one topic that he brought up. And typically when you have a lot of wind, uh, you would treat the wind just like you would treat a change in the terrain that you're riding on. So those changes, it's because it's a resistance change to your speed, right? And so it could be from the side, it could be from the front, it could be a tailwind. So those are things that will either slow you down or give you momentum or will require you to make changes. So I would say keeping a 90 cadence, which is the cadence he's used to riding yeah. at, during those sections when there's wind, strong winds, is probably not a good idea. Um, the idea, again, if you think about changes in terrain, being the changes being the wind, adjusting the cadence to match what's going on. So if it is a long stretch, you would treat it as if you were doing a climb. 
And so you could drop your cadence to, let's say, 70 to 80 RPMs to keep the momentum and keep going. And then when you have gusts coming in, you could accelerate to gain momentum and go through the gusts at a higher cadence, let's say at 90. And you adjust it that way as if you were in a changing terrain. Um, the other thing is the cadence and the power usually, uh, this is depend, depends of course on the training uh, that you have been doing or that people have been doing to match the cadence to the power. In my example, I have certain cadences to match the exact training zone or power zone that I'm working on. So I know, you know, the range of power and the cadence that I use according to the train. And this is part of the training that I do uh, with my coach, Tom Danielson. But it's something that really helps because it will help you keep the speed and momentum, but also be faster. Um, so in that regard, to match the, the cadence to the power is a very individualized uh, situation. But the cadence, having said that, you can think of it that way, just changing it to adjust. And, and intuitively, are you gaining momentum or are you stalling because of the, of the wind? And mm -hmm. that's when you change your cadence. Yeah, I think it's really interesting um, taking taking to that account. But you know what um, is really good, and he did mention in the video, since he is there with the time before, you know, many or uh, several riders are going out there to kind of test the wind and to see what they can do. Um, so you can have a chance. I mean, on the day of, it may be still, but in how many years of Kona, it's never been still, right? So we can't count on that. Um, but he can give a chance to go out and see um, kind of get a feel for how much he's going to fluctuate. Like, for example, if he kept the same cadence at the same wattage, um, how much that would slow him down, right? So, Because that's what we're worried about, this keeping this average speed as he gets from you know point A to point B. He wants to make sure that he's able to carry that speed um, through that mm -hmm. section. Um, and so is he able to kind of raise his cadence um, and be able to keep that keep that mile per hour or keep it steady, steadily and not having it drop below kind of the number that he's looking at um, versus pushing himself into a zone that's just completely uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, because you don't want that because then you're starting to burn matches. You want to save those matches for if you need a pass um, or if you need to make, you know, just to have that in the tank. Obviously, they've got a lot of running to do after these as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I would tell Garen then in that, in that, along those lines, Jason, to go out there and experiment with the cadence. Yeah. And your variance in the power shouldn't be more than, let's say, 15 watts mm -hmm, up or mm -hmm. down as you're doing these changes in cadence to keep your momentum. Like you said, Jason, you don't want to go into a VO2 zone and uh, burn all your matches. Right, right. Um, Gary, uh, Jerry Delport um, put um, a good comment on the live stream, and thanks for joining us this morning, Jerry. He says, um, sometimes you can let the wind um, get into your head. You're looking at trees and grass, and things may look like they're blowing much, uh, uh, they actually might be blowing much less than you feel them on your face because you're also moving at, you know, 15, 20 plus. Um, in the case of Garen, there is no trees, there is no brush, there is nothing on this course. But yes, that is true. In fact, when you are kind of... Uh, in a city situation, but from the videos that I see, these are the like quintessential classic photos of Kona where it is just hot rock lava. Um, and then I guess that is a question for the coaches. Does how does heat does heat just kind of overall? I don't think it plays a factor in the wind section, kind of more overall, would you say, kind of in the whole race? Probably stuff he's already dealing with in that in that sense. Yeah, I mean I think I think this is where we get into riding with power. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, take into account the heat, obviously, because that's going to have an impact on the body. And I'm, I'm sure he's probably spending some time out there getting acclimated to it, which I think is important. But, um, you know, you're not riding by a speed so much in the in the Ironman cycling part of it, right? You're you're really more focused on your power. And you're you're trying to get that variability index, you know, kind of as steady as close to one as possible, and then ride a real steady race. Yeah. Um, you know, I've read some things that saying that you know there's a big descent coming out of there. Keep the legs going there. Don't just coast, right? So you actually yeah. have a chance to get the lactic That's out. Um, I, I've seen but some al- other- also for the wind, so you don't get blown yeah. sideways. Keep yeah. keep the the leg spinning. Yep. Other comments on depending on how his hydration is set up. Um, you know, in the in the heavy winds, you're probably not reaching it down for a bottle. I'm I'm sure he's probably doing maybe some kind of a between the arrow bars kind of setup. But um, you know, thinking about hydration before you get to that climb in the wind, so that uh, and nutrition, so that you're taking that into account before you maybe get too far behind and then really mess up your race. Yeah. Do you have any advice? Like I've, most people, when they get to Kona, have probably leaned up more than they ever have been. And there's going to be some quite light riders. Like Garen would be on the light side, and there's going to be some, like small women as well. Mm-hmm. Is there any position changes that you can make depending on whether the wind is in front, to the side, behind, to just stabilize yourself a little bit more and then be able to maintain that power, or is it irrelevant? I think you never sit up. That's one thing. Yeah, never sit. <laughs> just never sit up. You're never in the hoods. You're always in the drops. Tie your forearms to the bar and just go until you get to the run. <laughs> that's what that's what Ian would say. It's like, what do you mean? Just cut off those end bars. Cut off the cut off the bars to stand up. Just put your bars. Put your bars in the pads. But um, yeah, with with the setup, um, the way arrow bars or the way the arrow setup is, um, he is going to be most arrow in a situation where he's got his hands um, parallel to the ground. He's got his head tucked in. Um, even from to the situation of, you know, whether he's turtling his head up or down is going to even make a difference. But again, you know, not sitting up, he's going to be in the optimum position as it is to whether it's something with yaw or with wind coming from the side or, or f- coming from the front or at an angle, um, he's going to be optimized there. As long as he keeps moving, that's the key because he's going to create this pocket. Um, if he does slow down or if he does stop pedaling, the wind actually starts to come in between his bike. So he's going to want to make sure he keeps his pedal up. But obviously unless he's on a downhill, that is a place where people um, most likely will slow down or stop pedaling. But if he's able to keep that up, um, it's actually a place where a lot of times you can not catch people, but get yourself, get your body ready for the next, uh, the next effort, let's say, um, as well as making sure you keep your optimum position. You can even pedal. And let's say that you're not in Kona, but you're in a very long descent and you're not comfortable with those. And uh, you don't do those very often. And there's a lot of wind. You, if you don't want to gain speed by keeping your legs moving even in easier gear it might give the impression that you're going too much fast like too fast you can even pedal backwards you're still having yeah. the movement in your legs and that's what you want to that's the key yeah. message yeah and you'd be surprised um it feels a lot less uh uncontrolled um on a downhill kind of bringing us back out of kona but on a fast downhill if you are actually you you choose a gear where you could barely just kind of feel it not pushing forward, but you've got some resistance on it. Um, you, it'll actually keep your balance better. You're not just kind of balancing with your body. Your, your, the, the, the pedal motion of your right and your left actually comes into part of keeping yourself balanced on the bike. And that's a normal motion because more, more often than not, we are our pedaling. Um, I mean, bringing us to an example of like my five-year-old who, who's starting to get the balance, but we've started to ride that. Um, what's that? Um, it's called a we-do. You have one of them too, right, Mitch? 
for your kids mm-hmm. that they, they yep. pedal too, right? They pedal, right? Yeah. On yours? Okay. So as Rylan pedals, he's all over the place. So the whole bike is like, dude. So I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, can you just stop pedaling for a second? And then we're fine. But then when he starts pedaling, so for whatever reason, like it, you just start, it's this learned thing where your body actually sways with as you pedal. So use that to your advantage to feel under more control because it's something that's kind of, you know, ingrained in that. So. He, he thought he was in a sprint and he was really, really working. <laughs> he, gets, he, get, he gets a kick out of when I start to slow down, he starts to pedal harder. And he's like, look, I'm pushing us all. I'm like, yeah, but we're starting to stop at this stoplight. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> it's this new thing because he was before he's in a chariot. So he could just like talk and listen to music. And now this is something new for him. He's really enjoying it so far. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a neat, it's a neat bike to like yeah. Accessory. Yeah. So. Before before we move on, Jerry's got one more comment um, about side gust. If you um, can look at the riders ahead of you, um, you can see if they are moving from their spot because um, you are looking forward. If if he's able to sight up and watch riders, they can. She, he may be able to tell gust because obviously they need to be separated during their um, uh, by a certain amount, or in uh, in fact they need to pass. So they he can use those as cues for riders that are going the same direction. I know they can see riders coming back the same way too. Um, it may be it may be challenging to see those riders, but the riders going in the same direction, it could be useful, Gary. And so, um, good luck. Um, is was there any last uh, any last comments here before uh, we move on? We move we move on. There was there's one thing that a lot of people forget actually with the heat, and it's where to cool ourselves. And it's generally near the pulse points where our veins are sticking out. So often you'll mm. see like water is generally going over someone's head, but you want it on the temples, around the back of the neck, here, elbows, back of the knees. You'll cool yourself more more effectively there um, and with the, with as cold as you can get. So just to remember that as well. I like that. I have heard situations <clears throat> where people were almost like overcooling themselves with not with those places but like just constantly putting a i don't know what it was like something about constantly putting water on your head and it wasn't it wasn't um like the best thing to do have you no, come across it's, that it's not, yeah because right? that's you can um your capillaries you have so many of them in your head and if you put like ice cold you can actually i don't know i don't remember the exact effect i remember reading about it but it can actually be detrimental mm-hmm. just like it would be detrimental to drink ice water mm-hmm. um, in when you're riding in the heat it's it, it's sort of like you think to yourself i want to keep my core cool um and so i want to have very cold water but again what you're doing is your core is going to be you, you put that ice in there and now you have your your blood rushing into there and, and trying to keep it warm and taking away from your muscles so it's just not a good idea to have a uh, cold yes not Ice water, ice water. So, so remember, so do you... like... <laughs> go ahead, Andrea. Is it like sort of a shock adrenaline? Yeah, response? it can be. Overkill. Right. Yeah. And if you have uh, exercise, exercise-induced asthma, and um, you uh, use inhalers uh, because you know when you exercise, you, you you get that that issue. For those riders, the the water or the whatever you have in your bottle has to be close to room temperature, even. Mm. Um, that's uh, that's gonna also help with that kind of uh, asthma issue. Yeah, oh, interesting. that's interesting because when you know if you're road racing, sometimes they'll have someone will have a hose, and I don't act, I don't have asthma, but I always have this response to cold water where you're, Ugh! yeah, and I'm like, don't come near me, and 
they'll still pour it over me, and then I still have this I can't breathe for a while thing. And, and yeah. Like, oh. yeah, I heard that from from a doctor who uh, who advises uh, a lot of athletes and at the elite level. Mm. Yeah. So so it's note like, note to self at team camp: don't drink from uh, Taya's hot tea water bottles. It's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. sipping on tea in between in between <laughs> intervals. What is this? 98 yeah. degree, 98.6 oh, no, degree no, no. water bottle. Not that warm, not that warm. <laughs> room temperature, room temperature. All right, well, all right, all right. So great, great topics there. Uh, thanks for the video questions. And if you would like to sh- send a video question, reach out to one of us at the Endurance Lab, and we would love to bring you into the conversation. Um, it's something new for us. Um, we are always trying to play with technology here. Um, sometimes it works for us, sometimes it bites us. So, but so far it's working. Um, so right now we're going to go ahead and switch some gears. I'm going to send it over to Taya. She's going to talk a little bit about recovery, um, and then um, as far as different things that we can do and kind of things that we can think about. So go ahead, Taya. Let's hear what we got. The topic came up in our forum actually because we have uh, riders having to rest for two weeks, and that is. Uh, setting some people out in panic mode. Wait, two yeah. weeks of rest? What does that mean? Recovery? It's not rest, don't do anything rest. It's just recovery really from all of the hard work and especially if you just came out of your summer season and you are in peak form, you've been riding a ton, you've been doing events, you've been challenging yourself, you need that recovery. There yeah, is sure. such, you know, it, it, in, especially at the amateur um level in cycling and triathlon there's so much lingering fatigue chronic fatigue that riders don't realize they even have and um, in fact i remember reading um, uh, an article from a uh, an expert saying how if you were to bring somebody in the lab to do a lactate test an amateur cyclist you know your your typical amateur cyclist um riding eight plus hours a week um, and and he were to biopsy his muscle, that athlete's muscle, there would be two millimoles of lactate there, even without any exercise. What does that mean? It means <laughs> the the muscles are carrying lactate. It can't even clear it because those athletes are just never giving themselves the chance to really rest and recover. And what does that mean? And I'm not going to go into the really... Um, details of the importance of recovery because we covered that in episode 15 so if you need some convincing please go back to episode 15 (laughs) take a listen as to why recovery is important what i want to bring in here is give me a you know i'm going to give you a practical example how would you uh structure your week so that you know you're recovering so a good example would be for an athlete a trained athlete doing a master's level, doing, you know, 600, let's say TSS, a week t- training stress score, if you keep track of that through training peaks, today's plan, etc. A rest week should be about 350 TSS. So that might make people freak out a little bit, but believe me, you will be just fine and try yeah. it. <laughs> try it. That's my challenge to you. Do it and yeah. tell me what happens. And if you're an athlete in the lab, if you lose fitness in two weeks of recovery, I'll give you a year free of labs <laughs> because it's not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Before, before, before we jump on, I guess we can talk to uh, uh, Mitch is actually in a, in a long resting period here. Aren't you, Mitch, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm trying to get back into it. 
Yeah. Um, no, I've had, I've just had, between, like we've talked before, I've had a, a, yeah. a hellacious kind of year from all kinds it's, of different things. And it seems like every time I try to get back into it, I get another curveball. But uh, really making an effort to, to, just find ways to actually work out on a regular basis with the whole idea that you've got to make it a, a habit and be consistent before you can right. actually do it consistently. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've right. got to do something for 30 days. We all know those rules. So yeah, it's, it's just trying to get back in the habit of, of being up and working out. Uh, yeah. So with that, Mitch is trying to leave because uh, he needed to go from the call, but I think now he's going to go change clothes and get back on the bike. So <laughs> we'll have to let him do that. <laughs> Except so. for the fact that as I was sitting here, my boss was calling me. So, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Mitch. And we'll see you All on right. the bike in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I will. All right. Thanks, Jason. All right. All right. So back to take, Yeah. He's going to take that conference call from the bike. From the bike. Um, there you I've go. And they're done that. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Um, so we were, so, we were saying, yes. Yeah. I was going to mention, um, there was a 2001 study in, published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine showing just how little it takes or just how easy it is to keep your fitness during recovery. So in that study, um, trained cyclists reduced both their volume and intensity of training by 50% for 21 days, and they experienced no decline in their submaximal and maximal performance. So you can trust that, you know, it will be helpful to you. Now, I'm not saying to be on the couch for two weeks, but yes. So let's, let's give the example then of a typical week. You could do, for 350 TSS, like I mentioned, you could do, uh, you, I would take one or two days off the bike completely. And then um, you would do perhaps one intense workout, but not a 100 TSS workout. It's going to be maybe a 70 TSS type workout for an hour. Uh, and don't burn those 350 TSS of the week in two <laughs> rides either, because that is also not going to be helpful. Spread that out over the course of the week and make the, uh, the rides short. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, so try it. You'll, you'll be fine. The other thing I would like to mention and to close the comments here is um, late season after a lot of uh, the hard work that you've been doing is a time to focus on maintaining form. If you're finding yourself though, um, lacking motivation at this time of the year, that could actually be fatigue. It uh, might not be the fact that, oh, I don't have any events ahead of me. My events are over. The, the fall is coming. Well, yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's not exciting that it's going to snow. But <laughs> if you are truly not motivated, you're waking up in the morning and you don't feel like training, that can be a sign of fatigue. So um, it, late season. Focus on maintaining your form. You do a couple of things. You do the, th the right things just enough to keep your fitness with that. But at the same time, you know, getting enough rest and starting to recover before you even go into that transition uh, pre-off-season phase. And this is what we are doing now with the Ability Lab, which is our next lab starting on October 8th, that, yeah, you know, it's a, you can join us in the lab and we will have you do just enough so you can maintain your fitness while still advancing your skills because you don't want to completely destroy everything you built and have to rebuild it again at the beginning of the next season. So this is where um, we'll keep you on track. Yeah, I think 
Um, go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, I was going to ask a question. So when the athlete starts into their recovery week and they're they're coming back and they get on the bike and they're doing a session and they're not hitting numbers and heart rates are off or everything, the first thing, now I might not be right in my assumption here, but the first thing a lot of athletes will say to themselves is, oh, I've got really unfit and they'll start to be really hard on themselves and try and force themselves back into it. But but I would ask if, if these numbers are off, they're still carrying residual fatigue um, or something, there's a little element of overtraining or adrenal fatigue or slight viral illnesses which can pop in when, when you've come at the off the back of a really hard season. So I think this is where a coach being objective is really important. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you know what, the athlete can dig themselves into a deeper hole. Mm-hmm. It's exactly right. They they don't they think they're not hitting their numbers because they're not working hard enough and then they train even harder. Yeah. Right. And I think that's that's also for um a coach to kind of look into coming back from a rest week um as you get or yeah, yeah, transitioning from a rest week back to a work week. Um it's key to kind of put the right workouts in. You can't um, typically throw somebody in, you know, right on that Monday back to just straight into like VO2, you know, intervals, you're going to want to kind of get them in, get their legs going and get them that confidence so that, you know, by Tuesday, Wednesday time, they'll be able to hit their, their numbers again. If you've got the, the rest, um, the rest done properly during that rest week or those couple days off that you put to kind of get the intensity down and possibly maybe the volume up, but you want to get that intensity down so the body can recover, can recoup and get out of those upper zones you know you hear um Taya talking um millimolars when uh six months ago she didn't know what those were <laughs> but yeah so getting the, getting riders out of using that. i knew what those were i just wasn't sure what they meant <laughs> yeah and now you do so so get so get them out getting out of the higher zones of um you know the high anaerobic um levels and kind of bleeding some of that in that off because you could easily do um a zone one zone two from the traditional zones uh really zone one um ride and really get a lot out of it um, versus just being completely off the bike. Um, You can still do some of that, but in fact, you can continue to keep your fitness there. And that study is definitely very interesting. And aerobic fitness does take a long time uh, to bleed off or to lose. And the reason why is because it's something that's built over time. And that's why base base um, has been touted as so important and making sure that you put that endurance down there. So the things that are done below threshold um, you know, at, at the at the low to mid tempo area, getting that in or that average in and making sure you get the miles in all those, all these little connotations that we've heard about getting those that base in is because it's something that you can build upon. I can take a rider off the street that's maybe been doing just a little bit of endurance riding. I can give them two or three weeks of full intensity and we can get them up to race pace, but they're only going to last a week or two after that. Um, but sometimes that's what riders are looking for, depending on their part of the season. Um, and so like intensity wise, you can build that part in a short period of time in as little as three to five workouts, but in as much as um, anywhere from two to three weeks at, at, at the maximum length of it. I think the more well-rounded an athlete is, the more resilient they are and, and will come back. So this is where 
all of it, getting your base training and your high end, your nutrition, which is going to mean that your cardiovascular system is, is really pliable and adaptable, your, your buffering systems, um, your strength, your flexibility, like there, a recovery week can never, it never, never needs to be nothing. Cause you know, if you have that bit of yoga or Pilates or strength and conditioning, there yeah. is other fun things and the mental change is important. But if, if you are well-rounded, it, it, and I noticed this a lot when I was working with rugby players, um, some would come back in preseason really quickly and they were the ones that were generally much healthier and sort of paid attention to all the pieces of the puzzle than, than the others and not picking up injury, in the comeback as well, which is what will happen cyclists if they're not well-rounded and balanced as well. So it's really important that we kind of apply all the pieces in a holistic way if we want to be really good as an athlete. Agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some really good comments there. Um, and things to think about during this recovery time. Um, it is a little bit of a bigger window, and it is by purpose uh, to get riders aligned and kind of get an idea of what kind of recovery they're looking at. Because um, even as, as we come through the Ability Lab or this time of the season where maybe you've gone past your A race or that sort of thing, you're going to need to think about um, getting yourself ready for um, the next season. A lot of riders have approached us about their 2019 seasons. Um, and getting them lined up for that. And really mentally, if you are an all-around year rider or if you are a um, periodized rider, you need to kind of make sure you're setting yourself up for um, a nice long season next year. All right, so all right. So um, any uh, last year's listeners challenge of the week, what was it, Andrea? Do you remember? You have a better memory oh, than I. Oh, snacks. Snacks. BCAA snacks. <laughs> yes, that was uh, that's what it was. That's what it was. So yeah, I'm, did we, uh, I don't know if we got a post up um, for that one. Um, I may have missed that on my radar, but um, BCA snacks. I think most, of, a lot of them were a lot and a lot of like barbecues and protein. Is all I remember last weekend. You seen pictures of <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of barbecue grilling. The whole the, cow. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, there was what, a lot of meat in those pictures. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, for, for, those, for those that um, haven't got a chance to check out our forum, um, head over to um, uh, endurancelab.fit. Uh, um, we do have a link to the forum there, and you can get a chance. There's a public side as well as a private um, closed side for those that writers that are doing the lab. Um, and then speaking on the lab, we can switch over to um, On the Horizon, where we're gonna, we can talk a little bit about the lab that's coming up and when it starts and kind of what we'll be covering. Okay, I talked a little bit about it. We'll, we'll bring it all together. We'll tie it in a nice bow so you guys at home um, can get an idea of what the Ability Lab will cover. Yeah, so we'll be looking at eight weeks, uh, starting October 8th. And um, as usual, you do we give you the plan and you do the workouts at a time that is convenient for you. So it is designed to maintain the fitness that you have built up until this point in the season while you're still advancing your skills and um, uh, translating that into faster and more efficient writing. So athletes of all levels and abilities can join this lab, um, particularly those uh, doing cyclocross, gravel, similar events, uh, or simply enjoying the last events and rides of the season before transitioning into the off season. Uh, if you're racing in Zwift indoors, if you're graduating from Zwift Academy and looking to continue to advance your training, this will be a perfect next step for you. And also, if you are in the Southern Hemisphere preparing for the spring season, it actually works out uh, well both ways. It does. It does. A lot of the riders here in Southern California, for whatever reason, can carry 
Crazy Fitness all the way to November. <laughs> this is the lab for you because the group rides will be fast for that. Don't forget that one week off that we take here in California <laughs> right after Christmas before the new season starts on January. And just a reminder, this broad, this podcast is brought to you by the coaches of here at the Endurance Lab, where our labs are specifically designed to help you to achieve your structured training goals as a group of, with a group of cyclists and triathletes working towards similar goals. And in these, each of these labs, you'll have direct access to us, the certified coaches and experts in the various aspects of endurance training. You'll also learn from your peers going through the same lab as you have access to our, our exclusive forum. We use online training platforms that include Training Peaks, Zwift, and Trainer Road to help facilitate group interaction. So head over to endurancelab.fit right now to see when the next lab begins. It's actually October 8th. And again, thanks for joining us today here. If it's your first time listening and would like to hear more content from the Endurance Lab, head over to your favorite podcast app and search the Endurance Lab. And head to YouTube and search the same. Don't forget, my five-year-old says, click subscribe. Yeah, where's the button? It's like, <laughs> and we, subscribe. Don't worry, we got them. Give the a new thumbs up. The, the new videos do have those <laughs> at the end of the videos. So for more information where the next lab is, again, head over to endurancelab.fit to learn where you can join us to train smart and get results. We'll see everybody next week.